Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. What an awesome, awesome worship today. Thank you, Amisha and the team. I'm like her. I could have just kind of kept hanging in that river a little bit. Today we're going to talk about the sufficiency of grace. How many knows God's grace is sufficient? And the Bible says for you. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, we want to begin in verse 7. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And this passage has been very much confused by a lot of people. And uh, it's been used to supposedly back up a doctrine that Paul was sick here, that he had some physical problem, that he asked God to heal him and God told him no. And that is not what this passage is talking about at all. Um, in verse 7, Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul said, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am strong amen can you say amen to God's word now if there's one thing that I've learned in these 60 years that I've been on this planet it's this everyone breaks what I mean by that is that you're going to find out that your strength, your wisdom, your tenacity uh, is not going to be enough all the time. And if you don't break, you'll soon break. And what I'm saying is quit trying not to break and go ahead and break and get it over with. Because God can't do anything with us when we're trusting in our own strength or leaning on our own understanding. And that is why, for Christ's sake, Paul said that he delights in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, because he knew that when he was weak, God's not weak. He said, then I'm strong. Because why? Because he's not depending upon himself anymore. He's not depending upon his own strength, his own resources, his own wisdom. And so why does Paul say that? Because the key, listen to me, the key to enduring the unendurable is to get your eyes off of your circumstances and to focus on what the Lord is going to display or magnify or bring out of what you're going through. Now, let me say something. We don't go through trials to see if we can manufacture and come up with the right stuff while we're going through a trial. Rather, life's trials reveal that God has given us the right stuff.
because he gave us himself. Amen? Now listen, under the old covenant, you had to prove yourself, but under the new covenant, you now reveal him because he's the light that's on the inside of us. And we have an opportunity by what we're facing, what we're going through, the difficulties, the trials to test, to display not ourselves, not our wisdom, not our strength, but to display that he resides in us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's already been a good sermon right there. I could say, man, let's go eat chicken. I mean, <laughs> it's tempting. But, but that's what Paul's talking about. And let's, let's just pray. Let you be seated in a moment. Father, and I pray even as this great apostle prayed that the preaching of your word would not just be words, but it would be the display of your power in the lives of your people. Father, I thank you that the preaching of your kingdom is not in word only, but also in deed. I pray that you'd manifest that power today and somehow you would display your goodness to your people today. That their confidence, their faith may not trust in man's wisdom, man's words, but in the power of God. Father, we give you praise that this kingdom that we are in, that we were translated into, that our citizenship is in heaven, is not of this world. It's not of the kingdoms of this world that are passing away, but the kingdom of God is ever increasing in dominion and power and rule and authority. And for that, Lord God, we thank you that we have been gifted an eternal, everlasting kingdom that always is increasing, never decreasing. Father, we bless you today. We bless you for you have blessed us and are blessing us and will continue to bless us, even in trials and tests and circumstances that we're going through, you've given us the right stuff. You told us through the Apostle Peter that you have already, through your divine power, granted to us everything that's pertaining to life and godliness. May we yield to that presence that resides within us, to the anointed one who lives within us, May I yield to that anointing today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand. Give them a big smile. Tell them welcome to Grace Point. Glad to see them this morning. I hate you had to set your clocks back and get that extra hour of sleep. <laughs> I know that was hard on you. I want you to look back in verse 7 again as, as we look at this uh, passage. And I'm sure uh, for many of us, if you've been in church for any length of time, uh, you, like me, have heard messages preached regarding uh, this passage. And uh, even though some preachers have waxed eloquent in their delivery, their theological stand on this has been very confusing. Um. The Bible says that you have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. And in verse 7, let's just look at it. Paul's writing, and he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
Now, let's just say what the verse don't say. It doesn't say nowhere in that verse that God gave him this, this thorn in the flesh. And the thorn in the flesh here is actually identified in the verse of what it is. What is the thorn in the flesh? It's not eye problems as some have preached that he had eye difficulty. He had some disease of his eyes or some problem with his vision or something like that. And they pull that out of other passages of scripture like in Galatians and different places. Where Paul said in one place he said that he was preaching to one of the cities in Galatia. And he said that the people there if it was possible would have pulled out their eyes and given them to him. And so they try to tie all this in and say, well, he had some kind of eye disease. No, if you read the Bible carefully, he had just been stoned to death the day before. How many knows your eyes might be puffy and swollen once somebody hits you with a lot of rocks enough to kill you the day before? And he was in two cities in Galatia, in that region. And in one of those cities, in Lystra, he was stoned to death. How many knows if people are executing that apostle, they knew when he was dead? They knew how to keep throwing stones until they had the person dead. And he was stoned to death, and, and, and they left him for dead because he was dead. But yet the power of God resurrected that apostle. He got up, walked 20 miles into the next city the next day, and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in that city that they said, if it were possible, Paul said, y'all would have put, put, plucked your eyes out and given them to me. And even though the scars in his flesh and the wounds in his body and maybe the puffiness of the, of the trauma that he had suffered, yet that spoke of his flesh, his humanity, if you will, but the, him standing there still preaching the gospel spoke of the divine power that was enabling him and strengthening him to do the undoable. They thought they killed the guy. They can't stop him. And so in this passage here, the Bible says that he said, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. First off, let me just say this. Unless you're receiving the amount of the revelations that Paul was receiving, we're not a candidate for this thorn. That eliminates most of us in the room right now. So because of the abundance of the revelation, and it's assumed that, in other words, that God sent that. It never says that. God didn't send some messenger of Satan. Satan is not God's watchdog. He's not... You know, God's not saying sick them. I'm going to try to teach them something. Paul is saying, lest I be exalted above measure. The Bible teaches in the New Testament very clearly that God's desire is this. Humble yourselves. You do the humbling, God will do the exalting. God wants to exalt us. Just like he exalted Moses in the eyes of the people, the scripture said. And just like he exalted Joshua, the scripture said, in the eyes of the people. And so who do you think that's behind this attack is Satan? Satan is the one that is sent this demonic messenger. The word translated messenger, this angelic demonic spirit is sent there to, to buffet, it says, Paul, this apostle, to try to bring persecution and trials and hindrances against him so that he would not be seen as exalted in the eyes of the people. And those weak in faith and unschooled in the the, the, the strategy and the tactics of the enemy would be scared away from accepting this message because the messenger, Paul, was so buffeted. So this demonic attack was upon him. 
to keep him from being exalted by God because of the, uh, of, of the life that he was declaring to the people. That's all this is saying. Now, he did say concerning this, he said, I, I pleaded with the Lord that, that three times that it might depart from me. But let me tell you something. This same apostle is the one that said that all that live godly in this world shall suffer persecutions. And so we're not free from persecution, but by the power of God, we will make it through persecutions. We've been, some of us in this room, we've been persecuted, not like this, not like the Apostle Paul, not unto the point of our life, but there's times you've been persecuted on the job probably. If they find out you were a Christian, you might even have got fired. There's, there's Christians today that get fired and they may, not, they may not put it on the firing form, we fired you because you're a Christian. That wouldn't do, sit well in the courts, but, but there's persecution. And he said to me in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness, not sickness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. You know, when the Bible says infirmities here, it's not talking about disease or sickness. There are times that the word translated English infirmities does mean sickness. But it's not in this case, and it's not also in the book of Romans, where remember the Bible said, the Apostle Paul said, that the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. And in that context, he said, for we know not what to pray for as we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. He's not talking about he helps your sickness. He's helping your inadequacies is what the word means. You're inadequate in your knowledge of knowing what to pray for as you ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit comes and helps you with your inadequacies. He helps you to pray for what you don't know that you need to pray about. That's what he's talking about. And so you got to see what Paul is saying there, and he's not giving this as, as some excuse. The, the, the truth you got to understand is that, that if you trust in your own resources, if you trust in your own endurance, eventually you're going to break. You're, gonna, you're gonna, not going to be able to provide what's needed to be provided. How many remembers the woman in the, in the Bible with the issue of blood? She reached out and touched Jesus, not even beknownst to him at that moment. She touched him. And she pulled power or virtue from him. The Bible said as she touched him, virtue went out of him. Now get something straight. Everybody in here, people take something from you when they pull on you. They take something from you. It doesn't matter if it's a family member. Well, I need you to, I need to talk to you. Or I need to, everybody takes something from you. I don't know how many times over my many 35, 34, 5 years now of preaching the gospel, over 25 years of pastoring, I felt like a little piece of bread, stir up an ant bed, drop it down in that, and just watch every ant come from every side and take a little piece of the bread to, before long there's no more bread there. People pull from you. They take from you. And listen, you and I are a limited resource. You only got so much to give. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many phone calls you can return. People, people don't realize sometimes, and even, you, you know, well, when's the last time you talked to Aunt Susie? Or when, when you can, when, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much of you you can give. And sometimes you just have to run out of you so you can start giving him. Did you hear what I said? Sometimes you got to be brought to the place that there's no more of you to offer, and at that point, then all you got to offer them is Christ. And that's not a real bad place to be. I don't know if you understand what I just said to you or not. But you're going to find out at some point in this journey 
that there's not enough of you to go around. Sometimes not even seemingly for your own family. And then, you know, the, the list just keeps expanding and going and increasing. And, and so the, the truth is that this life, I'm talking about this world system, is bigger than you. But the good news is that Jesus is bigger than all that. And, and so this thorn in the flesh that Paul mentioned, it's been abused uh, by some Christians to justify submitting and just basically caving in to nearly any problem that comes along. And Satan loves that because he's twisted this passage of Scripture to deceive many, and many people believe that, 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 uh, you know, that God wouldn't heal this great apostle here of his problem. And so if he didn't heal Paul, then why should we expect God to heal us? But God still heals physically. God's still a healer. He hadn't changed who he is. And just because he told, the apostle told Timothy, God didn't tell him, but the apostle Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for your, for your often stomach infirmities. They try to use that passage. See there, he couldn't, Paul couldn't even heal uh, Timothy. So therefore you don't, don't expect to be healed every time and, and don't stand in faith and believe God for, for miraculous things to happen. That's not what God's saying at all. Paul told this traveling uh, uh, itinerant preacher son in the, in the faith, Timothy, that when you go to these cities, don't drink the water. <laughs> or you're going to have uh, somebody's revenge that's going to hit you. I, I, you know, you, I mean, if, if any of you have, you know, and I've done that a few times, have traveled. I've traveled into the Yucatan Peninsula on a mission trip. That's the first thing they told us. Don't drink the water. If they took the water and washed off lettuce, don't eat the lettuce that has their water dripping on it because you're not, your system's not designed for this. Now, some folks didn't pay attention, and they didn't spend a lot of time in the uh, mission field. They spent time in the potty room. Selah. Paul just told Timothy, when you're doing all this traveling, don't drink the water, bro. Drink some wine for your stomach infirmities. You have, he's not saying God doesn't heal. But you see where people that want to justify a wrong theology, they just say, well, just cave in and submit to anything. You know, the Bible says resist the devil and he'll do what? Hang around half a day? What does it say he'll do? How do you resist him? The Bible says resist him steadfast in the faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. You're trusting in God. You're not trusting in uh, other things. So you got to understand that first of all, when the Bible says the thorn came because of the abundance of revelation, th that's what Paul's saying, that this revelation was coming to him. He's, he's, re he's revealing that. He's declaring that to these people. Satan's not going to just lay down. And, I mean, we're still in a war zone. So he begins to, to, to fight. And every listen to me, every time that the word thorn is used in the Old Covenant, uh, which is several times, is always represents people. He says, they shall be thorns in your flesh. Who did he say that to? Remember when Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites? And God had said to destroy them, not make covenant with these people. Well, the Gibeonites deceived Joshua, and he made covenant not to harm them. And this is what the Spirit of God said to Joshua. He said, these Gibeonites are going to be thorns in your flesh and pricks in your eyes. See, and so every time in the New Covenant that it talks about thorns in the flesh, it is always three times referring to people. 
not a sickness, not a disease, not cancer, not a tumor, not, not, not any of that kind of thing. So that's what this thorn in the flesh, this was, this was a demonic thing that was coming against this apostle. And so Paul was not speaking of when he said, lest I be exalted, of exalting himself above measure through pride and arrogance. But he was talking about Paul being, uh, that he wasn't able to be exalted properly in the eyes of the people. So that they would see uh, God unhindered in him because of his flesh and, and, and readily accept him. And so how did this demonic force continually strike Paul? Uh, traditionally, it, it said, well, he put sickness on him. He did this or he did that. And that's not what Paul, I said, is saying at all. He's saying that, that this messenger, this demonic spirit was sent to buffet him, to battle him. And uh, God sure didn't send it. But God was also saying to my grace is sufficient, Paul, you're trying to get out of all persecution. I didn't come to get you out of all persecution. I come to give you power to get through anything that the enemy brings against you. And that's the same with us today. Can you say amen for that? And so when Paul is writing here, he's not trying to get us to bow down to any kind of attack from the enemy or just sit there and just take it and, and not to say anything. But he's showing us that this is what this is. And I want to tell you something. There's times in our life where, where you, you just don't have enough. I want you to go to John chapter 6, please, back there if you could put this up for him. And, and we can just start with verse 1. And I want you to see that this is, we could say, you know, financially. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter what the, what, the, what the weakness is. It can be a weakness in you. It can be an inadequacy where you, there's things that you just simply don't know. And here, this miracle, and I know you know, you know this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. But I want you to listen to me. Today, Now, this miracle is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded. They, each one of them, give us little angles and views. You know, most of you know I was a paramedic for 20 years, and I mean, I've been to a lot of wrecks and a lot of stuff. But, you know, you'd go to a where, you know, an accident happened, say, at an intersection, and they would be witnesses to that accident. When you go to those people and they tell you about the accident, if you did not know better, you would think that they were describing, if there's four witnesses, they're describing four different accidents, but they all were looking at the same wreck. But they were looking at it from a different angle and a different perspective. It's kind of like that with the Gospels. They report to us what they saw from their vantage point. And here John uh, gives us another view. Now, all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that the events leading right prior to this was the beheading of John the Baptist. That Jesus had just gotten word from his disciples that John the Baptist had been murdered. He had been beheaded for his stand. You got also, not only was he the forerunner of Jesus, but he was Jesus' first cousin. He was family. And he had lost his life in his service to the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he wanted to get away. He wanted to take a break from ministry. He wanted to just kind of be alone and, and, and just, just process, process it. Um, John tells us in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Same thing. And then it says, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs that he had performed on those who were diseased. 
And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. He just, that's probably why I love the mountains. It's such a biblical thing to do. Probably my favorite place, literally, to go to um, is the mountains, just to get away. Love the mountains. I don't know what it is. It's just a very relaxing atmosphere to me. I got any brothers and sisters who like the mountains in here, <laughs> you know. Um, that's where Jesus went. He just wanted to hang out. He just wanted to sit with his disciples. Notice he just wanted to sit with them. Uh, how many believe Jesus was a good hang? Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he was somebody good to hang out with, just to be with. And, and he's not trying to preach to them or teach them. He just wants to sit with them. He just wants to hang out with them. Now, John's just been killed. Jesus just wants just to spend time with them. And... Uh, but the way, like it is with, with ministry, it says in verse 4, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip. Now here it is, Jesus has gotten this terrible news. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tells us this. He's gone up to be alone just to hang out with them, process everything. And like ministry goes, you get a phone call. It seems like that sometimes some of the most uh, intense times of requiring ministry will happen when you feel like you've got the least to offer. But it's in your weakness that God's strength will be made perfect or complete and displayed completely. Jesus looks there and he sees a great multitude and he says to Philip, one of his disciples, Jesus says this now, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But look in verse 6. This is, uh, John is the only one that tells us this statement. The rest of them done. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now Jesus knew what he would do, and he was going to do something concerning, in other words, this great multitude. In other words, the problem is bigger than the resource. We have an inadequate resource and I don't care what's inadequate <clears throat> whether it's your checkbook your savings account or your pocketbook but the problem is bigger than you the, 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 the situation is bigger than you are but this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do how I many believes that God still knows today what he's going to do and, and listen I want to tell you something whatever you're facing God already knows what he's going to do God already knows what he, he's going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, and he just says this, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. Now, denarii was a day's wages. So in other words, somebody working 200. Now, let me tell you something that some people try to preach out of this, and it never says that. There, none of the disciples nor Jesus did not say, we don't have the money. They had the money. That's why they had a treasurer. Y'all ever heard of that guy? What was his name? You ever heard of him? He, you know, and so you don't make the least trusted guy your treasurer, right? You make the most trusted guy your treasurer. So Judas Iscariot is the treasurer. You don't need a treasurer if you don't have any money. He had the bag of money, the Bible says. They had the money. They just didn't have the place to find the food. So the problem here was not necessarily the money limitation as much as it was Walmart wasn't there. You hear what I'm saying? They didn't have no place to go and get that kind of provision for those kind of people and Jesus said shall we go buy he wouldn't have said shall we go buy if we didn't have no money Jesus would have said we ain't got no money but he didn't say that I know that's bad English but he wouldn't have said that 
But what he's showing them is you're in a position now, Philip, that you can't fix this on your own. You're going to need some divine help in this circumstance that you now find yourself in. And, and so he says 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One translation actually said that they all could have a crumb. See, the problem is when you try to start ministering beyond your ability, you start giving people crumbs when they're really looking for loaves. And people can't survive off of crumbs. They need loaves. And here, you, you cannot do but so much, and they are overtaxed, overstretched, and they can't do it, and that's what Jesus is testing them to show these disciples, what are you going to do when you face this kind of circumstance situation in your life when it, this is bigger than you are? The problem is larger than you are. This is coming against you. You've been able to stand all of the time. You've been able to wiggle yourself, figure yourself, work yourself out of it, but this thing here is bigger than you are. You're not going to be able to whip this by yourself. Now, there are folks that are believers in Christ, but yet they don't avail themselves of the power that's in Christ, and they still do it from a carnal or a natural or a physical way to deal with their problems. And it's a very stressful, sad way for a Christian to live their life. Now, he says 200 and there is not sufficient. Have you ever been where you, what you had wasn't sufficient? Have you been where you, I mean, how many are you now where what you have is not sufficient? It's not sufficient to meet the need. It's not sufficient. Now, I've seen where ministers have manipulated and, 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 and done things with, with, with passages like this that I think is, is wrong. But I, but I will say there's truth in this. Sometimes you got to understand, you know, if some of you, you say, well, you know, if I said, you know, how many, you know, if, is there one person in here today that, you know, $500 would solve a big need in your life right now? If you really needed $500 and I'm going to give you $500, you know, if, if that would just meet a need. And somebody, I'm sure if I did that today, somebody's hand would go up. Let's just, let's play pretend here. Let's just say somebody, let's say I said that. Let's say somebody raised their hand. And so I say, okay, I'm going to give you five. And I walk over there to you and I give you $50. And you're going to look at me real confused. Because you said you said you were going to give me $500. Yes, I did. You didn't give me but 50 No, I gave you 500 See, that's your problem. Because all you ever see is 50s. But you don't ever see 500s coming from 50s. Y'all just let me know when I say anything that's good. Jesus did this in the Bible when he gave people talents. And he gave one guy one. And he gave another guy five or two. And then he gave another guy five. And he said, now go and do something with it. He actually told them to do business till I come. The word occupy don't mean sit on the park bench and wait on the rapture. The word occupy is a military term. That means they went in and occupied that ground. And so there's action involved. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to wake you up, try to stir you up in this. That there's things that God wants us to co-labor with him and be involved in. There's things in this world you just can't stand around and do nothing. There's people say, well, I, you know, I, need, I need this, I need that. Well, get a job. 
And I don't mean that ugly, but just get a job. I, I've pastored people all these years. I've watched people do without, you know, you know, try to live off of hand ups and handouts and hand downs, but they just wouldn't work. I've had people that I've told to get a job and they left my church. They have. My wife would know and whatever, you know, you don't know. I'm talking about where I used to pastor too. I mean, I had I a had young, strong couple. I mean, we had a young couple in a church and, and the lady got pregnant, you know, with her first baby here. I won't get in trouble here. But she got pregnant. But she did. I mean, ain't like, you thought she got diagnosed with cancer. The way she conducted herself and the way she carried herself. And, I, and she wasn't having any problems. Understand? I, would be, I would be mindful. There was no problems. Just want everybody, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, fan me while I sat in church. And, I'm, and, and, and neither one of them had a job. Married. Ain't got no job. And every time you go to the merch room, you come to me with the bill. Because I just happened to be your pastor. We did that a couple of times. You know, got to quit playing with stuff, getting cut and stuff. You know what? But, I mean, we finally said to him, you know, you just need to get a job. Didn't we, baby? And my wife talked to her and said, you know, you, you're not going to die because you, I mean, you just, you're pregnant. People don't like to hear them stories, you know. But my wife working at the doctor's office, I mean, she worked at 7 o'clock. She came home on a Wednesday night with our first child and told me, she said, no, it was a Friday night, Friday night. She said, uh, she said well, I'm, I've been hurting. I, I was trying to be sweet and all, but she's been hurting a while. I mean, you know, for months. But she was hurting, and I maybe wasn't quite. But I said, well, I'm going to Friday night prayer meeting. We had Friday night prayer meeting in our church, men's prayer meeting. And I remember when I said I was going to front of that prayer meeting, she just started crying. I go, uh-oh, this is a different level of hurt here. <laughs> I'm in trouble, plus she, still, she really is hurting. And I said, we better go to mercy. She'd worked all day that day. Got off like 7 o'clock because them doctors off where she worked. They'd just keep them late, you know, until they got all patients out. Took her to the hospital at 3 o'clock that morning. Brother Justin made his entry into the world, you know. And... Uh, but it was a different kind of pain that day, you know. But all I'm saying is there's things that in, in this life that you got to work with God on. God's there with you and he's for you and he will empower you. And his favor is real. It is so real. It's so real in your life. And there's things, so many things in my life where I knew and I could see the favor of God. But you got to relinquish your plan to God's plan. Because God's got the plans that I, and I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to do what? To prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. Isn't that what everybody wants is to be prosper, to have hope, and to have a future? Well, God says, I got the plans for that. So why don't you just relax all of yours and stop doing what everybody and grandma wants you to be and just be what God's called you to be and what you really want to do on the inside. Do you understand that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he puts those desires in your heart? And that desire you have is from God. You, somebody said, well, I don't know. I just want the Lord to speak to me. He's speaking to you every day by what you want to do. If you don't want to do up here what I'm doing, don't sweat it. God ain't called you to do it. Listen, that verse does not mean delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the Rolls Royce that you want. 
You wouldn't even know how to drive one if it's my hand you want. I mean, it's not, it's, not, it's not what it says at all. Delight yourself in the Lord. And God said, I will give you, I'll plan in you the desires in your heart. And it really cuts back on your prayer time needed. And I love to pray. But pray about make it fruitful. You, you, know, you know, a lot of times people ask, well, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is what I always say to them. What do you want to do? It's like they never, what, what? You mean I can do what I want to do? Yeah. What do you want to do? Well, I want to do X, Y, Z. Well, go do it. Well, God hadn't spoke to him. Yeah, he has you. That burning desire you have to have that. You're a, you're, a, you're a mom. You have a desire to have a child. Have a child. Get a husband, but I mean have one. <laughs> you, you know what I meant, right? God's the one that put that desire in you. You have, a, you have a desire to own your own business. To, 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 to this, God's the one that's put that desire in you. If you're delighting in him and, 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 and your heart is just to walk with the Lord and, and, and just be everything God's called you to be, God's putting in you what he wants in you. He, in fact, he already put it in there before you got here. You're just, it's just bubbling up to the surface now. Those things are coming forth out of you now. And, you, and, and, and God's the one that's put that in there. And sometimes what God's put in there, other people won't, they, they won't recognize it. They won't realize it. They won't, they, you know, they, they won't encourage you in that. But God, but God will help you. And I remember, you know, I, I, I always had a desire as a, as a teenager. I just wanted to help people medically. And, and, and you know, I want to be the rescue guy. I, I don't know if it was influenced by, you know, emergency, the show Emergency. Anybody remember that? John Gage and the brothers out of Station 51, Los Angeles Fire. No, y'all too young, you know. But, man, I love that show. You know, here they can get the call. Them two guys in the red truck, man, they roll out, and there was paramedics. I remember I'd watch that show every day, man. I got home from school. I'd watch that show. I'd watch those guys go, and they get out with that jump kit, and they run and help people. Man, I said, I want to do that. I want to do that. I first thought I was going to do that in the Coast Guard. And I probably would have done that as a senior, but that, that Coast Guard recruiter handed me bus tickets a bus ticket to Jacksonville for my physical, and it scared me. And I was looking at that bus ticket, and I'm like, I'm fitting to be in the Coast Guard for four years, and I've been in the 9th, 10th, and 11th, and 12th grade, and this is like sulfur. This was forever. See how you saw time back then? Remember that? And I thought four years is, you know, that's just that's forever. I can't be in the Coast Guard for no four years. And, uh, I said, I thought I could do this for two. He said, no, it's four years minimum. I said, well, here's your bus ticket. <laughs> I ain't finna go to Jacksonville this weekend. Got plans. And I didn't do it. But I was I remember looking at those rescue boats and what kind of boat to be on and this and that. And I always saw myself like patrolling Miami Beach. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> No, I had family in Miami, and I had been on Miami Beach, so I knew that it was a good place to patrol. But when they handed me all the Coast Guard stuff, I also saw icebreakers in Greenland and Iceland making pass for ships, and I just thought negatively, that's where I'll be. <laughs> I'll be on the front of an icebreaker with ice and Anyway, but I remember when I went to my parents, and I said, I'm enrolling in EMT school, that's where it started. And in Georgia, you'd be an EMT 
you know, and then you go to paramedic school later if you want to. And I said, I'm going to do this. And they said, my parents, and I love them, they said, you'll never be able to do that. We love you, son, but you're making a mistake. And they based it on when me and my dad, he was carrying me to school in the first grade, and we got T-boned, and we got in a really awful accident. And I remember living through that. And I saw my dad, and I thought he had really died. And it was just a horrible thing. I won't go play by play. But it was a tough thing. And from there on, I had a real tough time in seeing people in an automobile accident. And it would make me really nervous. And I didn't want to be around it. In other words, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to see it. Because it always brought back that memory of me and my dad and him lying in the floorboard of that car, covered in blood, and me reaching down as a first grader trying to pick his head up and pull him out of that floorboard of that car because my shirt was just solid blood and I remember when I went to the emergency room they kept lifting my shirt because they thought all that had come from me and it had come from my dad but you know what ignorance makes you fearful if you don't know what to do you're afraid but when I got training and I got in school then when I didn't see Rex like ah, I saw it like I need to do xyz I need to do one two three four and you just see it differently and you're not sitting around gawking at it and looking at it and all that kind of stuff. I remember one time I was riding with this seasoned paramedic and we had an accident, you know, and they were people stopping and we couldn't hardly get up to the car. A lady was pinned in and, you know, we tried to do our job. And I remember I was young. I, mean, I hadn't been on the, on, the, on the street but a year or so. And I remember I got back in the ambulance that day, you know, and we got through and everything. And I was just griping and fussing about all those gawkers, buzzards on the light line, I called them, or, you know, ghoulish, you know, people. And he just looked at me and he said, really? And uh, I said, yeah, really. I said, these people, let's just, just keep driving. He said, so you, what you're saying to me is you don't want anybody to stop at an accident. He said, don't you understand, man, that these people are stopping because a human just got hurt. And they don't know what to do, but they're just standing there if there's something they can do. And they're just there because another human's been hurt. And he said, it's a little bit different in the way you're seeing it. It's just they don't know what to do. Had you rather just pull up an accident and nobody ever stops for nobody? That'd be a bad world. That day I changed my belief system. And I never was upset about people having, you know, please let me get up there and get out of the way. I wasn't upset with them anymore. Because I saw it just a heart reaching out, maybe not knowing what to do. But all I'm trying to say to you is my family, because of the hurt in my own life and the fear they saw, and all, they said, you won't be able to do that. But God put that desire in me. And they said, you won't be able to do that. You won't be successful at that. You won't be able to do that. You know what? I did it for 20 years and loved every bit of it. Oh, I mean, they were tough days, but I loved it. I was the, I was the chief of, our, of my county in Tiff County for 12 of them 20 years. Loved it. Why? Because God put that in me. So sometimes people will tell you, you can't do this. Well, you're not gifted in that area, or you're not smart enough. You can Listen, don't listen to that. If you've got a burning desire in you for that, just go for it. Because God's the one that's put that desire in you. God's the one that will enable you and equip you and, and, and cause you to be able to do that thing that God's called you. It may not be the family business that you go into. right? It, not, it might not be what everybody else is doing. But God has put unique giftings in every person in this room. Amen? And you, and you, just, you, you need to realize that. Now, what Jesus says here is he knew what he was going to do with these apostles. Even though they didn't understand, all they could see was the lack. We don't have enough money. 
And then verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Now look what they said, but what are they among so many? Now we've heard that. You've heard sermons called Little is Much When God's in It and all that kind of stuff. And, and there is a book, and I haven't read it, that's very popular right now, but it says small is the new big. And it's talking about our approach to life even right now in our culture. And, and what it's saying is that we've got to get back to small. We've got to get back to family. I know you've got a 1,000 friends on Facebook, but you don't got a 1,000 friends. And you don't even know what friends are anymore. I know, Eric, you know, I know you're going for likes. And if you're really blessed, you get the little loves. Or if you put up a joke, maybe you get a ha-ha, you know. But that's not, that's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in that. I'm using that media just to, to, to get the gospel out. And through it, there's been some blessing to me. I've reconnected with a lot of my family down in uh, Florida that, on my dad's side. That it's just a way of keeping up with them and seeing what's going on. And it's pretty cool. And I like that. And um, it just made me feel more connected to them. Because I remember them when I was a young boy growing up. And the family and the young reunion and all that stuff. But, you know, when the older ones died off, all that ended. But now there's a whole crop of us now that's on Facebook. And you can kind of keep up with each other and see folks that, that, that you're kin to. And, and it's pretty cool. But what I'm saying is, here now they're saying we don't have enough. Jesus actually in some of the other accounts, he says, go count what you do have. Sometimes you need to count what you do have so that you realize that what you do have is not enough to meet the need. It's not enough to meet the need. Now, sometimes you might have heard this said. In other words, let's say you got a bill and, and what you have available to you is not enough to pay the bill. So here comes the saying. Now, it can be abused, granted, listen. If what you have, if the seed, if what you have in your hand is not sufficient to meet the need, then it's not to meet the need, it's a seed. It's a seed to be sown. In other words, if your bill's $500 and somebody says, I'm going to give you something to meet that need, and they hand you a 50, then that 50 is not going to pay a $500 bill, right? But it's 50 is a seed. And so now you just ask God, where should I plant this? Now, when I say plant it, I'm not talking about necessarily the stock market. could be. I'm saying that God may have a place for you to release that. It can be, I don't know how many times in my life where I've been obedient to God and just releasing money to people or things or situations, and then I've had just, you know, tremendous amount come right back on, on that. And I've seen the hand of God. And you say, and I'm not saying, I'm not coming up with the theology, you know, give so you can get and all, all that stuff. But I mean, there, the Bible says that no farmer with any sense plants with an expectation of no harvest. It says a farmer always plants with the expectation of a harvest. Why do you think Moses sent the spies into the promised land? Because you don't have a heart to climb the walls of Jericho and fight if you don't know what's on the other side. But if you, know that there's, if you know that there's grapes as big as basketballs, then it will make the fight worth the while. Jesus even used this thought. And this is the way Jesus, he's, the Bible, you know, seems like Jesus went to the cross. Jesus did not go to the cross. Jesus went through the cross. It says Jesus despised the shame, but he endured the cross. For what purpose? For the glory that was set before him. So how did Jesus get through the crucifixion and the cross? Was he just focused on the cross? No, he was focused on what that cross and that battle would produce on the other side. 
And sometimes in mine and your life, you've got to focus on the, on, on the harvest, on what's going to be the result of it. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And so they come to him and they said, well, we, we just got the five loaves and, and you know, and the, and the two small fish. It's, you know, the kids got that lunch. Now, things got to be pretty bad if you just to take away the kids' lunch that his mama packed for him. Now, I don't believe they jacked the kid up and just, you know, pushed him down. And, you know, I don't believe the disciples thug the kid, you know, and took his lunch without his blessing. But I do believe they went to him and explained to him, you know, listen, bro, could you give us your lunch? He, he had to have confidence that something would happen from that. Now, now I'm almost done. Listen to me. Now, I don't care if it's your life. Your family, spiritually speaking, could be financial, whatever. But whatever you got, it's not going to be enough. Not for every battle. And you got to give it to God. Now, sometimes that may involve physically giving. Sometimes it may just be an acknowledgement. Sometimes moms, you're so worried about your grown kids and what they're into and the drugs they're taking and the life they're living. But sometimes you come to this altar and you give them to the Lord. You, you ever heard of that? Now, you can't put them on the altar and then turn around before you get up and take them back. Because there's something about cast every care on the Lord because he cares for you. And the proof that you really cast it is you, you don't worry about it anymore. You go, I can't fix them anyway. can't even fix myself. But I just give it to God. And you do that by faith. And you trust him. And so what you got to see in this is that they, you know, I believe they went to the little kid, you know, hey, we got the, you know. But how many is five plus two? Five loaves and how many fish? Two small fish. That's seven. Seven is the number of completion. Do you understand that? So you got to have seven in the bag. You got to be complete. Some of you are trying so busy to heal other people when you ain't whole yourself. And that's not a cut down. It's a wake up. Listen, you, you got to allow God I know there's been times in my life and out all these years, I remember one time where I felt like God said to me, you know, you're in a position now where you can't give them anything but me. You've been giving them you, but you done run out of you. Now maybe you'll give them me. What does that mean? Well, it's, that's a whole other story. But in that moment, listen, all we really have a value to offer people is God. And sometimes we're always trying to fix them ourselves, help them ourselves. And there is a place for that, and there's a place for ministry. And I believe in, I believe in all of that kind of stuff. But sometimes you're going to get to the place where you're going to go, the bill is more than I got. The crowd is more. We've got 5,000 men here, not counting the women and the children. And here we've got five loaves and two small fish. And listen to me. Now, you know the story. Now, let me tell you how the story doesn't go. Some church folk believe this is the story, that Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish. He goes abracadabra, and all of a sudden we got a mountain of fish, and we got a mountain of bread, and they're two mountains full, and then he calls the disciples to be the table waiters and go deliver it to everybody because he makes them sit down in companies of 50. That's in the Scriptures. That's not how the story goes. That's not what the Bible says. Now listen to me very carefully. Jesus took the five loaves and two, false, two small fish. How many knows that Jesus had got enough sense to know that you cannot feed 5, 10, 15,000 people with five loaves and two small fish? Jesus knows math, and he knows limitation. But we're in the world, but we're not of it. 
So Jesus looks at that. Now listen to me what the scripture says. Don't miss this. He takes it and it says he lifted up his eyes. You got to stop looking at the balance in your checkbook. You got to stop staring at your inadequacy and your insufficiency in the moment because his grace is sufficient for you. And so you got to get your eyes off of that at least for a moment. At least while you're going to pray, get your eyes off of it. And he lifted up his eyes. Why? Because that's where the help's coming from. I will lift mine eyes to the hills of Zion from which cometh my help. For my help cometh from the Lord. So you got to look to where the help's coming from. Because now rational wisdom will tell you this, this, this. Sometimes you just don't have enough. You just got to look up to God. All right, and say, now here's what I got, God. I understand I'm holding it in one hand, in my, both hands. I got, I got five loaves right here. I got it right here. Okay, I'm lifting up my eyes. And then it says that he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And the disciples, in turn, gave it to the people who are scattered out all over this grassy area, sitting in companies of 50, in groups of about 50. Because uh, 10,000, 15,000 people is a, is a riot waiting to happen. Just a mass of people. But when you break it down, break your problems down into smaller, break the problem down. Don't go, oh, God. I know it's overwhelming because you're trying to fix all of it in one day. You're trying to look at it all in one day. No, it's not. People take their lives, commit suicide, because they don't know how to break the problem down into 50s. You got to see. You, you, today. Just deal with today. Tomorrow, Jesus said, it'll be sufficient. It'll take care of itself. I'm there. What about tomorrow? Jesus is already in tomorrow. Before you get there, he's there. So, he, he, so listen to me. Now the disciples have got a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, and they walk towards a group of 50. They didn't say nothing about them carrying no basket out there full. None, none of that. And they start breaking off. And they break it off, and there's just more to break off. Now, I'm asking, listen to me. Where did the miracle happen? Whose hands did the miracle happen in? Not Jesus's, the disciples' hands. Why? Because they had a word from God. You go feed them. They said, you, Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus said, I already know what I'm going to do. I just want to see what y'all going to do with me in this situation where you are not enough by yourself. And Jesus said, this is how you handle problems that are bigger than you. You lift up your eyes. You pray. And you take whatever you have and you give it to God. This is the way God always, listen to me, he always does this like this. And he always uses something very insignificant to man and very small. So you got a handful of meal. God sends the prophet to this woman with a handful of meal. The widow from Zarephath. And, and, and he says, make me a biscuit, really. Literally, he asked for a biscuit, something small. And then as she turns to go, first he will ask for water. Then he says, give me some bread. And then as they turn to go, he says, bring me a cake. See how God does? Now she replies, I only have a handful of meal. That's all I've got. Me and my son are going to eat that and die. How many knows that's not a good outlook? He says, just obey the word of the Lord. And she does it, and the Bible said the meal stayed in the barrel. It never run out. Don't try to figure it out. Just be thankful it didn't run out. Don't, don't try to figure it. You understand what I'm saying? 
All right, he does the same thing with the woman who is in debt. They're going to sell her sons into slavery. She's got no husband. There's no welfare system, and she's got a little bit of oil, just a value. That's all she's got of value in the house, a little bit of oil in a vessel. She's got nothing. Listen, again, the word of the Lord comes. Go borrow many vessels, borrow not a few. Listen to me. Okay, no religion here. That's a real woman, real problems, and she had to go next door and around in the area and borrow pots or vessels or pictures. You understand? I'm sure that didn't feel real great in the flesh. Can I borrow a vessel? What? I don't know if they said, why do you know? I don't know. She borrowed many. Now listen to me. Your faith determines the size of your miracle, not God. Now what if she went and just borrowed five? How many pitchers of oil would she have received from God? If she'd have borrowed 50, how many would she have received? Because the Bible says that when she started to pour and the vessel started getting full, when she got to the last vessel that she had borrowed, the oil stayed. Now who determined her miracle, her or God? She did. Her faith did, rather. Right? You know it's the same way with us? You wonder why some people have bigger deals than other. It's just the faith. It's not that they got any more faith, they're just using more of it. Because God has given to every man the measure of faith. So you have the faith. Whose faith do you have? Jesus' faith. And a lot of church don't know that. They think their problem is they need more faith, their lack of faith. No, it's just, just a lack of realizing what God gifted you when you got born again and using the faith that he gave you. Because Paul said the faith that we now live, we live by the faith of Christ. That's what we live by. The faith of who? The faith of Christ. It's been gifted to you. But you got to exercise it. you got to utilize it. Why does, some, why does my oldest son walk around looking like the Hulk? I mean, I'm his daddy. I should look like the Hulk, right? I, I, I'm his daddy. I don't work out in the gym like that brother does. You know? I mean, he walks around. I see people looking. We was, we was gone somewhere the other day. Went somewhere with the family. And I, just, I watch people just looking at him, you know, because, I mean, he's all bowed out. They'd be like, you a big old boy, ain't you? He got them genetics from me. I just ain't exercising mine. I've had doctors. You got the bill for it. You got this for it. You got, yeah. I'm good. I get all the exercise I need. But see, the exercise the faith. Don't say it's not in you. It's in you. It's been gifted to you. And so whatever you have, you'd be surprised what God can do if you just give him what you got. Now, I don't know if that's actually, you know, handing something over to him or it's just an acknowledgement to you, to God. God, I give this to you. What about this? I just, Father, I give you my life. I remember the day that I gave God my ministry. I had previously had... The, 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 no offense, I don't mean the denomination had my ministry because I was cookie-cuttered believing this is the way it is. I'm going to do this, this, and this. 
And I remember I never had asked for a church. I'd never asked a pastor a church, although they had sent me to this town. I remember they sent me up to Dublin, Georgia, and they said, we want you to go up there. And I went up there on a Thursday night and carried my wife and my, my little kids and, and met with the church and the people and all. And, you know, and they, that was on a Thursday night. And the overseer called me on Sunday and said, I want you to answer on that church. And God gave me a clear dream Saturday night not to take that church. And so I was bold enough to tell that overseer, I don't think that's what God has for me. He said, well, I want you to obey the Lord and that would be a blessing. You just, he didn't say that. I said, he didn't say that, y'all. You know what he said to me? I said, the Lord gave me a clear dream I don't believe I'm supposed to take. He said, well, I'll never offer you another church as long as I'm overseer. That had been a great start for a young man like you. You won't hear from me again. And he had two more years left on his four-year term. He never offered me another church. Had another overseer come in behind him. Because you think leaders are supposed to care about you. And some do and some don't. Some see it like a chessboard, just moving pieces around. And I never went and asked nobody for a church. And then the guy starts, well, won't you go here? Won't you go there? Won't you go up there? I'm like, and I prayed about all of them. I remember I got a call on a Friday and said, I want you to be in Uvalda as the pastor of that church Sunday morning. I've never even been to Uvalda. I knew where it was because we used to live in Vidalia. And this is what I said to that man. I said, may I go up there this Sunday, preach for the people, give me time to pray, seek the Lord, you know. And he said, well, sure, that's what we want. We just want the will of the Lord and we want God's will. That ain't what he said, y'all. You want to know what he said? He said, no, you can't go up and preach for him. No. All you want to do is go check out the parsonage. I told my wife, you were not emotionally prepared to pastor. You're never going to quit that chief's job. You love it too much. You'll never leave it. And I will never offer you another church. Boom. Well, praise the Lord for that conversation there. You know what I was doing by the time that happened? Tears. Because I got a man that don't even really know my heart, judging my heart. So you don't know where I've been. And then I'm feeling so hurt. And then it lasted about two or three days. And the hurt turned into anger. I know y'all more saved than me, but this is just my story, okay? And then I wanted to drive up to the headquarters and roll around in the carpet with the brother. I'm going to tag that head a few times. For talking to me like that. I won't say I'm a grown man. How many knows that's not Christian to do that though? And I did I said I thought about it. I didn't say I did it. And then I had to deal with all of that because that's not God. And after that last little bit of confusion, which was in March of 1990. Now, I mean, it was this. I felt like that somebody had taken a chalkboard and with some chalk. And these were all people in my life that had got up there and wrote geometry problems, trigonometry, algebra, all that stuff that I hated in school. Them long problems trying to get X to equal Y and all that stuff. And it was so complicated, it just hurt my head to look at it. And I felt like in the spirit that that was my ministry. And everybody and their mama had took the chalk and wrote what I was supposed to be doing for God. And I was thoroughly, after six years of preaching, confused. 
And I said to God, God, I erased the blackboard today. And in this, in, 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 kind of like pictorial in my mind, I said, Father, here's the chalk. Please tell me what to do. I'm telling y'all just as clear as if he was sitting in the room with me. This was March of 1990. He spoke Cornerstone Church to me. And it's like God was saying, finally now, you're going to give the chalk to me. You're going to give me your five loaves and your two small fishes. You're going to hand it to me. You're going to let me write it. Because my plans are not your plans. And my plans are not even your denomination's plans. And God wrote that so clear to me and revealed it in a way that I needed to know. And one year later, in March the 10th of 1991, I started Cornerstone Church. It still goes today. I remember the first time when I came out of that encounter with God, I was sitting on the front porch of our little house, and I remember sitting out there one day with my wife. This is no offense to her, but I'm just telling you the reality of stuff. I said, Jill, what, what would you say if I told you that the Lord had spoken to me and that we were to leave our denomination that we're part of and to start a church, you know, right here in this county, not even move off? We had lived our life so we could pack up a rider truck and get out of town for God. That wasn't God's plan. That was the denomination's plan. Wasn't God's plan. And I remember my wife looked at me and she said, that, that can't be God. And I said, why can't it be? She said, it would hurt too many people. You know, she was right about that it would hurt too many people. Because people get hurt over, well, I thought you'd always be this, or I thought you would be that. But the Lord revealed to her very quickly on the heels of that, this is God. And we knew it was God. God's got a plan for your life. It may not be what everybody thought it was going to be. It may not look like what everybody thought it was going to look like. It might not be in a church proper. It, not, it might not be in the family business. Might, but God will reveal it to you. And we started that church and was there 19 years until we come to you guys. God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for this ministry. He, 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 he's, he's got a plan for this ministry right here. I was telling Brother Charles this morning, we were meeting for church. I said, Charles, this ain't my church. This ain't my building. This ain't my roof. These ain't my people. All the bills that this thing generates, they ain't my bills. All the, the cost and the pressure of this thing, all, this, ain't, this ain't me. I told him, if I thought it was mine, I'd walk off this morning and leave it right here. Because I can't take that weight. I got enough of my own family. Like Moses said one time, he said, I can't take this no more. He said, God, Moses said, did I birth all these people? These people? I didn't give birth to these people. Y'all, if I'm in the Bible, y'all say amen. It, it, actually, Moses one time begged God to kill him. That's, that's bad stress for ministry. Moses just said, I can't take this no more. God, you know, you know who spoke by, for God to, to, to Moses? A guy named Jethro. You wouldn't think a guy named Jethro would be, you know, have a lot of wisdom, but just because of the clampers, don't let that offend you. Brother Jethro knew what he's talking about. This ain't Jethro Bodine here. This is, this is Jethro by Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Jethro said, this heathen, idol-worshiping father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, says to Moses, Mo, come in, bro. You take too much on yourself. 
what you need to do is get some leaders here and get some other folk to help you and bring the hard ones only to you and then let these other brothers handle these other things and that way you'll have some peace. And Moses said, I believe I'll do that. And that's how Moses survived the church of about a million or two people and to be able to lead them through the wilderness because he took a huge problem and he broke it down into smaller bites. You got to eat an elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> Not that anybody eats elephants, but you are. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody today. I've seen him where people, they just look and they get, they literally get suicidal because it's just too big. The problem's too big. First thing Jesus did is said, make them sit in companies of 50. I know it looks overwhelming when there are just 20,000 hungry people standing there staring at you. But we got a large grassy field. Isn't that convenient that we had that? Make them sit down and break them into groups of 50, and then we'll start dealing with this problem one group at a time. Some of y'all wonder, well, where's my fish and chips coming? Because you won't get in order. But didn't you hear them tell you getting companies of 50? Just because you're from San Francisco and like the 49ers, they're not going to bring no fish and chip to the 49ers. Do it like Jesus said. If he said companies of 50, find somebody that's got 49, you plop your behind in there and ask 50, wait on your fish and chips, they're coming, baby. You might not get it right now, but it's on the way to you. Now, Jesus, after he fed them, this story ends with Jesus perceived that they were going to take him by force and make him king. He passed through the midst of them. How many of those Jesus don't want to be Captain D's, fish and chips king? But when people get their needs met, they keep coming back for that because they think that's all there is to it. But the reason that there's much more to life and ministry than just having your needs met, just eating fish and chips. You understand? God's got a plan for you. I want you to stand with me today. I want our elders to come and our community group leaders to come as we do every Sunday. We don't do this out of religious rhetoric or ritual, but we do it to be here to serve you, to pray with you. Anybody besides me still believe in the power of prayer? The power of prayer. Some of you today, you, you need to give it to God. You need to do like I did, maybe. Symbolically. You understand all that was symbolic in my, in my vision, kind of. I handed God the chalk. And I said, how about you writing for my ministry? That set me on a path. Now listen to me. This, this is the truth. When he spoke to me, it was March of 1990. You see if you think this is coincidental. Listen. I'm talking about a supernatural God. I'm talking about where you walk away from things and you just go, ain't no way that wasn't but God. That was all God. Okay, and then March the 10th, which I didn't try to precisely plan that, but that's the way God worked it out. March the 10th of 91, I started the church. Oh, they were people that were upset. My denomination began to demonize me as a whole. They were so angry that I didn't stay with the denomination. They took it as a personal offense. It was no offense. It was just in obedience to God. I endured a lot of attacks. I had people that I had grown up with since I was 12 in that local church that I left. I would pass them in the grocery store, and they would not speak to me. They looked at me as if I was a traitor, like if I was a demon, if I was trapped. And all I was trying to do was love God and preach the gospel. 
Man, that hurt. That hurt. It, it made me really distasteful of Christians. And I, really, I went through a season there of hating the word brother or sister. Because I thought all this mess is fake anyway. And what I've gone through proves to me it's fake. You're only brothers if you're wearing the same jersey, everybody. I thought we was all for God. I didn't know I had to be in that church with that person. I mean, I, you know, and so I was really, but I had, to, I had to go through some things, and God was helping me. And then I got invited to, to a little church in Moultrie, Georgia, by a pastor who still pastors down there today named David Oaks at Heritage. Great man. And he was pastoring this church, and, and he asked me to come and, and he knew I'd started the church in Sparks, and he asked me to bring my youth, and we had a drama team. And I wasn't preaching, I wasn't on the program, but we brought our young people to do one or two dramas. And so, as it was in those days, about 20, 30, at least, of my people came with me, and the parents of the teenagers and so forth. And, and, and I'm sitting three ways back in this little church in Moultrie on Spencefield Road at, uh, Spent, uh, in Spencefield Highway there, and, and, and my young people are doing a drama, and, man, it, you know, it was cool. They did that, and I thought they did awesome. And I'm sitting back here in blue jeans, regular shirt. And he introduces a guy from Augusta, Georgia, Bishop Jim Dutton. Never heard of the guy. All I remember when that brother took come around this thing, oh, that brother was tight. I mean, he was dressed. He had them black and white shoes on at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that brother was sharp. And he had a black matching black and white suit, tie dressed. I mean, talking about this tight, dressed to the teeth. You know, I'm like, <laughs> Uh, he might not can preach, but he'd be looking good. He took the pulpit. This is the, he took, and we have this on tape. Some of you have heard me play it for you before. And he took the pulpit, and after his introduction, and the first thing he did is he looked out to me, and he pointed at me. Now, I was not introduced that night. The, pa you know, he, the pastor just said, Brother Dale's youth, come over, blah, blah, blah. He said, he said stand up. And that's when they, they got the recorder going. And this man of God begins to prophesy out of his mouth. The most detailed, specific prophecy. And when is it? It's the month of March, 1992. God spoke to me in March of 90 to start the church. March the 10th of 91, we started. In, March, in 92, God knew I needed an encouragement to keep on. And that you're on the right path, son. And you didn't make a mistake. And so here this prophet who had never seen me, who I'd never met, who didn't know me from nobody, begins to speak the word of the Lord to me. It's been a word that I've lived off of all these years. And he starts out and he starts saying this. He says this to me. He says, sir, for I see you in an association and in a denomination in the past. And God says to tell you that even though that he used that denomination to bring thee out of the world system, it will no longer be able to carry you into this thing that God has declared unto you. For God says, I will liken unto you a Joshua generation, and I will bring you together with brethren that you shall find to be brethren indeed, and you together with them shall come into this thing that I have declared unto thee. For know this, O man of God, Moses is dead. For you are a Joshua generation. For know this, that Moses saw the land, but he could not enter the land, for he would not change when I said change. God says, for there shall not be any fear in you of the people, for I am extracting the fear of the people out of thee on this night, and I am removing it by my laser light, and thou shalt behold not the face of the people, but thou shalt behold my face, and thou shalt see my face in a new dimension saith God. 
And I say unto you that you have not missed thy God. For you are on time. And you are in time, and you shall not be a day late, neither shall you be a dollar short, saith the Spirit of God. For yea, where I guide, I provide, and I shall bring in resources, saith God. I shall cause money to come from the north and the south and the east and the west. For know this, O man of God, thou art not voted on anymore. For thou shalt not look to man for thy retirement, but thou shalt look to thy God, and he shall reward thee. God began to just use that man to speak those words. Can you not still feel an anointing present on those words that I just said? Was there not some kind of witness on your physical body that what I'm saying is the word of God? You say, well, that was God's word to you. Yeah, but if you connected to me, that's God's word to you too because what belongs to the father belongs to the children. If it's my word, it's your word. If you understood that, you would shout bigger than you're shouting right now. If you understood, you, if I'm your shepherd and you my sheep, that's your word. You can claim it. You can grab hold of it. Now, what have I done all those years? I've done what Paul told Timothy, make war with thy prophecies. So when you find yourself standing in lack and all you got five loaves and two fishes, you stand there and you say, thank you, God, for this. This ain't enough to meet my need, but this is going to be my seed. I'm fixing to give this back to you because this by itself ain't enough, but I offer it back to you. I lift up mine eyes to you, and I give you thanks, Lord. Now listen to me. That is one of the missing keys of supernatural miracle release is we're not thankful for the little. We automatically cave in like a house of cards. We fall apart like a $2 suitcase. When we go through hard times, you need to look at it and go, I understand. I can do math. I know how to work a calculator. This ain't enough. But I'm not limited to this. I'm connected to him. I've got a father who's got a kingdom. He's not sitting on a broke bench. He's not sitting on a wooden bench. He's in no recession. He's not going through a downturn in his economy. God is still the God of the cattle of a thousand hills. He still owns the silver and the gold. He belongs all to God. God's my daddy. I'm his kid. God's going to provide for me. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to come, but I know God is faithful. I know God's going to bring it to me. I know God's going to take care of it. Because my faith is in him. Now you got to leave here different than you came in here today. I'm not here trying just to knock out another Sunday sermon. I'm trying to really grab some of you by the collar and say, now you need to wake up from this right here. This ain't how it's going to end. This ain't it. Now I don't know through them tough times that I've gone through and am going through. If I'd have made it, if I didn't have a word. I'm like Paul. I got a word that I'm going to go before Caesar and be talked to Caesar in person in Rome. But right now, I'm in a bad shipwreck storm looking thing going on right now. And all the reports say I'm going to drown and die. Even the angel of the Lord told me the ship ain't going to make it. It's going to get torn all to pieces on the rocks. But he said I would make it if I hold on to the word of the Lord. 
And that's why Paul could tell those sailors, I am fully persuaded and I believe the word of the Lord that was spoken on me. Why did Paul have such boldness? Because he looked around and said, you know what, I got a word, I'm going to Rome, talk to Caesar. Best I can tell, I ain't in Rome and I ain't talked to Caesar yet. So what that does tell me is I'm not going to die tonight. I know it looks like I'm going to die. I know the doctor said I'm going to die. I know the report says I got this. I know the report says I'm not going to live. But God says I'm going to live. God says I will live and not die. I will declare the word of the Lord. I will get out of this. I will get through this. I will overcome this. My name is overcomer. I got to have something to come on over. I will get through this. Now, now, Now listen to me. Listen to me. You know that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me? I ain't trying to tear up your Bible, but I'm trying to tell you this. That verse don't mean what most Christians apply it to mean. Now, most Christians go, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me, and they try to say, well, I can be the president. No, you can't. They, they say, I can kind of do, I'm trying to do this. I'm, that ain't what God's saying. Read the verse in the context. Paul just got through saying, I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned and left for dead. I've gone through all these trials and tests. I've had all this opposition and persecution come against me. And then he says, but I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Paul says that that's what he said. I can do all, do what things? Go through all this. This ain't going to take me out. No, God didn't send it. The enemy is trying to buff it and come against it, but God, he says, I can do all things. Why? Because it's through Christ that's strengthening me. He strength, they stoned me and left me for dead, but I got up and shook the stones off and walked on in 20 miles and went to my next preaching engagement. I mean, he, he can't stop him. Because not only is he a natural human that you could stone to death, but he's also empowered by divine power that he'll get up and shake them rocks off and stand up and preach again. Because God said, you ain't coming home till I say you're coming home. Now, what you think that word did for me that night, March of 1992? You know what I started doing in my life? The month of March has always been a special prophetic month for me. I look for presents. My wife was born March the 20th. I've got all kind of good stuff happening in March for me. And so every year now, I get excited when I see March come around. I always say, Papa, what you going to do this March? August I like because it's my birthday, and I always do like my little grandbabies and all ask me now. They ask me for a present, and they ask me for Christmas presents. I've learned that my father's better than me, and so I ask him for presents. I say, God, what you getting me this August? You know my birthday coming, right? What you going to get me? It's not always natural. It's not always something I can touch, but it's something more valuable than that. Do you understand? Listen, listen to me. I promise you, every one of you have special months with God. Right now, some of you are thinking about your month of attack. <laughs> yeah, I got a special month. I got all the... No, no. I'm talking about just like that. And I've watched God. He said, son, this is the time I want to speak to you. This is a moment. This is a season. It always comes with me around Passover. It's always around Passover. God will begin to do those things. Boy, that night I left that church in Moultrie, Georgia, my back straight, my head up. And I found out later that that prophet 
or he was bishop, and he's still alive in Augusta, Georgia. He doesn't very, he, he, he not, he's not used like that very often. That was a very unusual thing. I remember I probably waited, what, 10 years, Jill? And never had any communication with him after that. And then I finally had a desire to reach out to him. And I reached out to him. I told him that story and, 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 and how God used him to change my life. He said, well, where have you been the last 10 years? <laughs> I had him come to my church and preach my leadership conferences. And just, just I love him today. I love him so much because he's a vessel that God's used. I've driven all the way to Augusta, Georgia, just to sit with his congregation to be at his birthday celebration. Just to honor him. And have no place on the program. But just to say, Bishop. I love you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Because God used that man to change my life. God may not do it in that such a dramatic fashion, but he will do it. You be encouraged today when you walk out of this place. You lift up your eyes. And listen, whatever you got in your hand, don't fake it because God knows it. Just say, Lord, thank you for this. Because you already know what you're going to do. You wanted to see what I was going to do when somebody handed me not enough. And I know I've been real good at grumbling and griping and complaining and speaking negative. But I'm going to change that by your help. And I'm just going to say, Lord, the bill is 5,000. Five loaves, two, two, seven won't do it. But you know what? Thank you. Because I know for you to hand me such a little amount, you've got to be up to something good here now. And so I'm just going to go on and say thank you, and I'm going to give it to you. Because I know that if I give this to you, ain't no telling what you can do with it. And when God gets through feeding everybody and they all got full, 12 baskets is coming home with somebody. Huh? That's how he does it. I can't wait to see what God does for you. Don't it feel good to be in the house of the Lord? Come on, give him praise. Hey, we're here for you. If you just want to come up and just tell one of these leaders, I believe like God spoke this to me today. Or, or pray. It don't even have to be for prayer, but we're here for you. And we love you guys. And elders, we're meeting tomorrow night, so I don't have to send text to everybody. Where's Andy? Is he still traveling the world somewhere? No. Okay. So all my elders are present. That way I ain't got to send you all no text. Tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, I need to meet with you guys. And uh, love you. All right. God bless you, Grace Point. We're here waiting on you for prayer. If you want a prayer, just come talk to one of your leaders. Just come. God bless you. We love you.